Good morning. The scripture lessons today are found in both books, Romans and Galatians. So our first reading is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By that of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, and he will justify the circumcised on the ground of faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then overthrow the law by his faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience nothing? Did you experience so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? or by your believing what you heard. Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so you see those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. For this reason those who believe are blessed with Abraham who believed. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the one who is righteous will live by faith. But the law does not rest on faith. On the contrary, whoever does the works of the law will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Karen, for those 
beautiful and lengthy readings this morning. We want to continue our six-part series of major Methodist beliefs and doctrines. And today I want to take a look at the doctrine or the belief of justification by faith. Two weeks ago, we dealt with the authority of Scripture. And last week, we talked about God's love for all persons, both background or backbone, I should say, doctrines of who we are as Methodist, United Methodist people. Next week, our subject will be sanctification, the pursuit of holiness, how we grow in grace, how we become more and more like our God. I appreciate some of the comments and insights that you share and encourage you to continue to do those. Feel free to call me or email me or get in touch in in any way with me, and we can talk about some of these things if you would like to uh, discuss any of these topics further or maybe on a little bit deeper level than we have time for on a Sunday morning. Along with nearly all Protestants, United Methodists affirm that the way in which a person enters into a relationship with God is justified is by his or her faith, not by any good works that, that no one should boast, nothing that we've done. The act of faith brings about a justified relationship with God, a lined up relationship with God. It's an affirmation of the truth that God entered into this world to be in relationship with us through Jesus of Nazareth and the life death and resurrection of Jesus made it possible for us to have that living and loving relationship with God. Further, this act of faith is substantially more than mere belief or intellectual assent. Those things are important. It's the kind of total trust in God's love and forgiveness that brings about a redirected life, a a new kind of life in who Jesus is, who we are when we are in relationship with Jesus. The resulting justification, the relationship with God is the beginning point, not the ending point, not we've got it all together, not that we now have a relationship with Jesus, but the beginning point of a relationship with Christ that will unfold all the days of our lives. The point at which we accept the free offering of God's love and God's grace. And some folks can affirm that point, can tell you a time and a day and a place. And for others, it's come on more gradually, but it's a reality. They know their relationship with God through Christ is a reality in their life. With Wesley, we modern United Methodists affirm that faith is the necessary ingredient, the necessary condition for us to be justified and put into a right relationship with God. We are accounted righteous before God only for the merit of our Lord Jesus Christ, only by faith, not by our works, not because we've been able to keep all the rules and all the regulations that religious folk of all persuasions are so fond of, but because we have been justified by faith. And Wesley would say it's a most wholesome doctrine, full of comfort. So I want us to look a little more closely at justification by faith, asking what is it exactly and what role does faith play in the justification process to justify, to free from blame, to absolve. In printing, you talk about justifying the print, lining up each side, lining up the margins so that it all fits and all comes together. 
And to an extent, that's what happens when we are justified, made right by God's grace, not by what we've done. And Paul emphasized that in his letters over and over and over again. Like he wanted to be sure that those who would read his letters in that day, and that if by perchance by the Holy Spirit those letters were preserved until our day, that we would get that as well, that we might know what it is to be justified, to be free from blame, to absolve. At the first Methodist annual conference held at the Foundry in London in June of 1744, several items were discussed, including what to teach and what to preach. There's a new movement going on here. What are we going to tell people? What's important? What do folks need to catch on to that will guide them through all of their lives? And about 7 o'clock on the evening of the 25th, John and Charles Wesley were there along with others. The doctrine of justification was considered. So let me share with you a couple of the questions that were asked back so long ago and what the answers to those questions were. First question, what is it to be justified? To be pardoned and received into God's favor into such a state that if we continue therein, we shall finally be saved. And people talk about being saved or when they got saved. And I think about what Paul said in Romans that we are closer now to our salvation than when we first believed. This whole idea of process is so important to who we are. And the second question, is faith a condition of justification? Yes, he said, for everyone who believes is justified. Now, prior to his life-changing, heartwarming experience on Aldersgate Street, May 24, 1738, John Wesley had made the same mistake as the Apostle Paul and as Martin Luther before them and that he attempted to enter into a right relationship with God by keeping the rules and the regulations, by getting it all right, by living such what he considered a holy life that he would come to God. After Aldersgate, oh, a month or so, on June 11, 1738, Wesley preached at Oxford his famous sermon on justification by faith. And then according to Bishop William Ragsdale Cannon, who ordained me, Bishop Cannon did, as a deacon in 1976, an elder in 1979. If you ever had a chance to meet Bishop Cannon, you know what a character he was, what a leader he was, what a Methodist scholar he was. When he would read those lengthy passages of scripture, he would take his Bible and hold it on his shoulder and read it from memory, word by word. He was an amazing scholar, and he wrote a landmark book on John Wesley's theology. And in that book, he said, on Sunday, September the 17th, 1738, significant year in the life of our faith, he said the very day after his arrival home from his pilgrimage to the Moravian center of Hernhuth, he began to declare in his own country the glad tidings of all, the call to repentance, the call to salvation. And this marks the beginning of the Methodist revival. For though the name Methodist was attached to Wesley early on through his holy club affiliation at Oxford, as far back as 1729, and though Wesley himself later in life set that year as the date as the beginning of Methodism as a social kind of movement, a phenomenon, it did not find the secret of its power or rise above the status of a small club. 
with an influence no wider than its membership until the year 1738, after Wesley began to preach justification by faith. No longer satisfied by a selfish personal moralism, and that can still happen to us, can't it? We think we're keeping the rules, we're following the law, we're doing everything right, so we've got it. But no longer satisfied by that, he turned in gratitude for God's free gift of salvation to him, to the masses of sinful humanity. He called out with authority to folks who had been ignored and neglected. And it helps us to think, who are those people in our day? He called out like a prophet to the dirty colliers who worked in the coal mines in England back in that day in Bristol, to the filthy rakes, he said, who hid in the dens of London, and to the barbarous mob who inhabited the wild moors of Northumberland. Folks that most people tried to avoid, wouldn't you think? John Wesley remained faithful to this newfound emphasis throughout his life, throughout his ministry. He said, works never again intruded to make their claim as a necessary precursor of the justifying act. And in May of 1766, he wrote, I believe justification by faith alone as much as I believe there is a God. I declared this in a sermon preached before the University of Oxford eight and 20 years ago. I declared it to all the world 18 years ago in a sermon written expressly on the subject. I have never varied from it, he said, not a hair's breadth. You don't hear that expression much anymore. From 1758, Until this day, justification, to be made right with God, to be lined up in our faith with God, and to be made right with God, there must be forgiveness of sin. It must be put behind us by nature and by definition. Sin separates us from God. Dr. Tony Campolo, and you've heard me quote him before, and I first heard him preach in around 1982, I guess it was, made quite an impression on me. He's an American Baptist minister, a professor of sociology in Pennsylvania. I believe he is is retired now, but what a character. His best-known sermon, his best-known book is called It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And if you've never Listen to that, Google it, look it up, listen to it. But in that book, he tells about being a kid in Bible school and about how he learned there what justification by faith was all about and about the woman, the teacher who taught him what justification was all about. In his words now, she explained to me that justification meant just as if I had never sinned. Others have said and taught that as well. But he said, years have gone by since that simple Bible lesson. I've written a host of books. I've been in conversation and dialogue with some of the world's greatest theologians. But after all is said and done, I must admit that I've never found a better definition for justification than that dedicated woman taught me in Bible school so many years ago. Just as if I had never sinned. If, he goes on to say, Jesus Christ is the most important person in your life, then you're justified. And that means standing before God as if you had never sinned. And that's the incredible good news, he said, that I want you to believe. He's fond of talking about, too, and I think one of the first times I heard him about how our God is a forgetful God. 
and how in the book of Hebrews the phrase is repeated over and over again, God forgives our sins and remembers them no more. And he said when he gets to heaven, if there is a book of Compolo that God is going to open up and read, then the only things written there are going to be good things because God has forgiven and forgotten all of our sins. We are justified. We are accepted by faith. Christian faith is not only an assent to the gospel and the good news of the gospel of Christ, but it's a full reliance on the blood of Christ, a trust in the merits of his life and death and resurrection. And it is like salvation itself, a gift from God. Faith is not the result of an act of our will. If we can just conjure up enough strength and faith to mentally believe something, faith is not the result of an act of our will or our intellect. It's a gift. It's a result of the grace of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. But like any gift, we must receive it and make use of it for it to be operative in our lives, for it to make any difference. Maybe you've heard the story of Blondin. Blondin was, back in his day, considered the greatest tightrope walker of all time. And I love this story. In the late 1890s, he strung a tightrope across Niagara Falls, and before 10,000 screaming people, he moved from the Canadian side of the falls to the United States side of the falls. And when he touched down on the United States side, they were all there, all 10,000 of them, and they were shouting his name, Blondin, Blondin, Blondin. And then finally he was able to quiet the crowd in one grandiose kind of gesture to calm them down. And he yelled at them and he said, do you believe in me? And they all shouted out again, we believe, we believe, we believe. And he quieted the crowd again. He said, I'm going back across the tightrope. But this time I'm going to carry someone with me on my shoulders. Do you believe I can do that? And once again they yelled, we believe, we believe, we believe. And then he asked, who will that person be? And the crowd went silent. And out of the crowd of 10,000, one person, one man stepped forward. And he climbed on Blondin's shoulders. And for the next three and a half hours, they inched their way across that tightrope back to the Canadian side of the shore. 10,000 people stood and yelled, we believe, we believe, we believe. (laughs) But only one actually believed. Saving faith is committing ourselves into the hands of the God in whom we say we believe. And in his hands we are justified and accepted and we are made right. And we become one of his young ones. And we begin to grow up into the salvation experience that he has set before us. That makes all the difference in the world. And the way we see ourselves, the way we live our lives, the way we relate to other people in this world. Another person who has influenced me greatly was Dr. Fred Craddock. He died a few years ago. He was a professor at the Candler School of Theology and other places before that. And uh, this may be his best known story. And when I started thinking about justification by faith, this, this story came back to me. 
This was a few years ago. He was on vacation with his wife in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. They were seated at a table in a restaurant when an old man came up to him and just asked him out of the blue, how are you doing? Are you having a good time? Are you on vacation? Yes, said Dr. Cranick, we're on vacation. And yes, we're having a good time. What do you do for a living, the old man asked. And Dr. Craddock wanted to get rid of him so that he could return to his conversation with his wife that he was so, so caught up with. Said, well, I'm a professor of homiletics. He was sure that a title like that would throw the old man for a loop and he would be on his way and it would all be over, but it didn't. Oh, the old man said, you're a preacher. Let me tell you a preacher story. And Fred Craddock says, it seemed like everybody's got a preacher story or a lawyer story or some kind of story, but most people have a preacher story. Um, but before he could do anything, the old man pulled up a chair, sat down, started to tell the tale, unwind his tale, tell the story. He said, I was born an illegitimate child. I never knew who my father was, and that was very hard on me. The boys at school always called me names, and they made fun of me. And when I walked down the main street of our little town, I know that folks were staring at me and wondering, who is that boy's father? One day, a new preacher came to town. I didn't have much to do. I didn't have many friends, the old man said. So I went to hear him preach. I heard that he was a good preacher. And I went and he was a very good preacher. And I kept going back. And every time I would leave a little bit early so I didn't have to talk to anybody on the way out of church. I could just slip out and be on my way. And I didn't have to face anybody. And then one Sunday he said, I got so caught up in the preacher's message that before I knew what was happening, he was pronouncing the benediction and the aisles were full of people and I panicked and I didn't know how I was going to get out without facing somebody. I tried to get out of that church. Suddenly he said, I felt a heavy hand on my shoulder. And when I turned, that big, tall preacher was looking down at me and asking, what's your name, boy? Who's your father? Whose son are you? But before I could say anything, he said, I know who you are. I know who your family is. There's a distinct family resemblance. Well, you're a child. You're a child. You're a child of God. You know, mister, those words changed my life. And then the old man got up and left and a waitress came over to where Dr. Craddock and his wife were sitting and she said, do you know who that was? He said, no, I have no idea. She said, that's Ben Hooper. He was a two-term governor of the state of Tennessee. A man learned that he was accepted and justified and a child of God and it changed everything for him and the way he saw the world. By faith, we too are accepted and we are justified and we become children, sons and daughters of God. But justification is just the beginning of the journey. And the farther along we go, the more we come to resemble our father. Amen.